and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, he taught them. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and share with you again the word of God. The last time I was here, I preached from Psalm 103. And somebody asked me if, how many, if I'd been preaching since then. That was back in August. And uh, this is Psalm 104. So that tells you how many times I've preached since then and now. <laughs> I'm amazed at what God does and how he directs in our lives and his goodness to us. And the psalm that we have before us this day is the complement to Psalm 103. They both start with, bless the Lord, O my soul. And if you remember the last time, that word bless means adore. It carries with it an emotional part. Lord is not just someone that we deal with with our mind, but with our heart. This psalm is amazing. David and the Septuagint tells us that David is the author. And David takes Genesis chapter one and the seven days of creation and he uses them as the outline for this psalm. There is a depth here and a, a wondrous richness. There's also a statement made that the Egyptians had a hymn to the sun god. And David used that in part. But Yahweh's a whole lot bigger than the sun god. And so he expands and he grows and it, and it just builds. It's my nature to take those things and to build upon them. You have a pastor that does a fantastic job of exegeting the word. He digs. And this morning, I wanna take a little different angle. Is there anybody here who isn't busy? If I saw a hand, I was gonna give you something to do, all right? <laughs> we are all busy. We rush, we, we, have, we, we get done with this, we got things we gotta do today in, 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 in our lives all the time. Go, 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 go. This morning, I would like us to just stop. And we're gonna look at this psalm and walk through it. And I'm gonna ask you a very simple question. What do you see? Because we can see without seeing. I can remember one time I, my oldest son had shot a deer, a buck with his bow and we couldn't find it that night, so I went back the next day and I'm tracking and, and I'm walking out there and saying, Father, there's a deer out here someplace that my son hit with his bow. Would you help me to find the trail? 
And I looked down and there was blood between my feet. All right? It was there. I didn't see it. I said, well, ask us this very simple question. What do we see? Before we open the word together, let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious book. Without it, we would be left with our traditions. Uh, We would be left with the uh, visions, whatever men came up with. But we have an authoritative word from you. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, it is your word. We desire to open it this morning in honor to you, in respect for what you have said. And we ask you to send your spirit to let it come to life in our lives. Father, that you would take it and shape us and mold us and and help us to be biblical in how we see things. I thank you, Father, for the work that you will do because Jesus Christ said he would build his church. We look to you through faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Our psalm starts out with David turning us toward God. Genesis 1 begins with, in the beginning, God. And so David does the same thing. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And again, we said that's an emotional aspect to the word bless. He says, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Now that could be used as a refrain throughout this entire psalm. And our heart should constantly look at the Lord and say, wow, you are great. And there's nobody like you. I like to put it this way. Uh, there, there are no major league players in his bracket. <laughs> all right? He, he's in a class all by himself. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. We get ourselves fixed up sometimes, but not anywhere near what the psalmist says about God. Honor. Majesty. Those words, the, the, the pictures they bring to our mind. Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment. He doesn't have a bunch of LEDs on his robe, okay? No, he he clothes himself with light itself. He said, let there be light, and there was light before there was ever a sun. He dwells in light unapproachable. Sunday school class, we were talking about the amount of transfiguration when Jesus, his raiment changes, and he shows what it was like in glory. And David says, God, you cover yourself with light like a garment. Who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. It's just gotten cold. We've got a, a nice picture window in our house and Pat's chair sits right next to it. And in the evening now, at times, I will go over and we will 
pull that curtain, keep the cold from coming down on her chair, make her warmer, all right? Well, that's practical. It's a little thing, you know, just pull this curtain. David says that's the way God describes it with the universe, with everything that's out there, with all of creation. Imagine that. The Bible says one day he's gonna go and he's gonna close it, roll it together. Oh Lord, you're great. Think of the, the, the word pictures, and, and, I, and I understand this is a song, so it's poetic, and but who lays the beams of his chambers in the waters. He, he builds a house on the water. Who maketh the clouds his chariot. Who walketh upon the wings of the wind. I picture air currents and him just going, do, do, do. He's a spirit being, okay? And those words that David uses conjure such, such magnificent ideas. Who maketh his angels spir- spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. That's, that's appropriate because He is so great and he's so mighty and such a wonderful being that his messengers would be the same. Uh, Picture the seraphim, Revelation chapter four, the four creatures around the throne who cry holy, holy, holy. You can go back to uh, Ezekiel, find them back there as well. Those are around him who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. He said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? He's made this globe so that it stays here. And we look at it and we say, O Lord, our God, thou art very great. And I would ask you, when you look at God, what do you see? That's an important question. Some of us will look at him and and because of our experience in life, uh, in fact, I was reading a testimony of a lady just this week that, that because of experiences that she had growing up, looked at God and thought he was mean. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a wrong concept. God is gracious and merciful, long-suffering and forgiving. And he is fantastic beyond anything we can imagine. Now David goes from there and he starts to talk about the world. And in the the next uh, few verses, six through nine, Thou coveredest it, the foundation of the world, with the deep, as with a garment, and the water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go down by the mountains, they go, they go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys, unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound, 
that they may not pass over, that they, may, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Remember grade school and learning the water cycle? The air passes over the bodies of water, the oceans, it picks up the air, the moisture out of it, and it goes up into the cloud and becomes clouds, and then the clouds descend as rain, and the rain goes down and it goes back to the oceans. Remember that cycle? When we look at the, at the world and the water cycle, what do we see? See, if all we see is a cycle and we don't see God, we've missed it. Because if there's a cycle there, if there is a pattern there, somebody had to put it in place. Somebody had to design it. I have a son who's a, a, a pilot he flies a jet for a corporation. And he sends me pictures every once in a while. With He's above the clouds. And down below him are the clouds with the little mountain peaks coming up through. He makes the water go above the mountains. You ever wonder how he came up with that? There was nothing, and he designed the water cycle. He goes from the water cycle, and he starts talking about the earth itself. In verse 10, he sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every wild beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle, herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. Thy hills are a refuge for the wild goats, the rocks for the conies. Little critters, varmints. You notice what he writes here? All of those things from the Genesis chapter one and the creation, as God said, let the dirt be separated from the water, let the waters above and the waters below and let them be separated and let there be vegetation. God made all of it. When I read there that, you know, the, the, uh, the trees of the Lord are full of sap, my, my temptation is to read uh, the maples of Michigan. Anybody enjoy maple syrup? Hey, man, I like maple syrup. You ever think about where it came from? How'd those maple trees get so sweet? And it's not all maple trees, I found this out. Some maple trees have way too much water in their sap. And it's only particular maple trees that you tap for making syrup. 
the vegetation. I don't know about you, but if I had planned it, I, I would have probably had um, corn and peas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Very little um, originality, very, very little in the way of variety. How many different kinds of trees has God made? How many kinds of grass is there? How much edible stuff has he put there? Not just for us, but for, for all the critters that he put out there. And he made water to flow down in the valleys so that the wild animals could drink there. He made the bushes where the birds would sing. We're in the quiet time of the year right now. I like it. If I get out into the woods, I stand there because it's quiet. But it won't be long. The chickadees are going to be making noise. And then the other birds are going to come back. And the snow will melt, and it will get warm, and the woods will be full of... <laughs> and when we look at it, do we just see the birds? Do we just see the, the insects? Do we just see the trees? Or do we see the one who made them? Do we recognize his hand? And do we give him glory and honor as the creator? Then he talks about cycles. Verses 19 through 23. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth is going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth. They gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and his labor until the evening. I think this is the, the verse 23 is that basic statement that was man may work from sun to sun. A woman's work is never done. That may be your biblical base. I'm not sure about the second phrase in that, all right? Although I did hear one time, one of, the, one of the worst things that ever happened to farmers was they put headlights on tractors. God gave us cycles. He talks about the moon, and the moon was the, the instrument whereby they kept track of months. You read anything of, of the Native Americans, uh, there was the hunger moon in the winter, okay? There, there was the moon when things turned green. They, they kept track with the moon. He gave us the sun to give us day and night. Some things are more active at night. Talks about the lions. God made man the work in the day. That's our natural time to work. Um, remember an old John Wayne movie where he wakes him up and says, daylight's burning. Right? It's, it's the way God designed us. He's given us cycles, a rhythm that we follow and we work with. 
You ever stop to think about the whole pattern of things? How long is a week? Hmm? How long is a week? Seven days. Do you know that in the French Revolution, in their, in their big thing with metrics, and yeah, the metric system, they made the week 10 days long? Were you aware of that? It didn't last long. <laughs> People figured out they got fewer weekends. <laughs> the week is a pattern that God put in place. It's his design. We're not going to change it. And he made it for our good. You notice that he takes care of the animals there. The young lions roar and they seek their meat from God and God provides it. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When you hear the, when you hear the birds singing uh, that they may be talking to the creator. See, what do we see? Do we just see the physical or do we see what's behind it in our, in our maker? And then he goes to something that's vast. And he talks about the oceans. Verses 24 through 30, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. And so is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou givest them, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. If I was more techie, and knew how to do a PowerPoint thing, I would have been on the internet this week and getting pictures, and I'd been flashing them on a screen someplace for you. Most of us have seen pictures of the ocean and things in the ocean. Coral reefs, all those colorful little fish swimming around there. Leviathan. I'm not sure what critter that is. But I know this from the biblical description, he's big. The largest creatures on earth live in the ocean. And they follow patterns. They're here, and then they swim over there, and then they swim down here, and then they make a circuit back up there. The oceans have currents. I recently read uh, Unbroken, tremendous story. Guy drift, uh, three guys starts out in a, in, a, in a raft out of an airplane crash, World War II, and they drift 2,000 miles on the Pacific Ocean in about 40 some days, carried by currents. And that's a tremendous story of the sovereign hand of God on a human life before he actually came to faith, okay? Wonderful story about God's hand. 
But we look at the oceans, the ships that go on them, the path that they make. And even in this country, when, when men got to land, what did they do? They followed the rivers, followed the water. It's the easiest place to go. And do we just see the ocean, the life in it? Or do we stop and see the one who made it? Ever think about water? You're mostly water. You realize that? If you took all the water out of you, you'd just be poof, little dust laying there on the floor. Water is amazing. As far as I know, it's the only element that when it freezes, it expands. Most things contract when they get cold. I know I do. Water expands when it freezes. If it didn't do that, there would be no life on this world. Because the ice would sink and eventually all the water that is there would be ice. And there would be no life. I wonder sometimes how many evolutionary processes water had to go through became it before it developed that. Tongue in cheek, right? See, do we just see water or do we see the one who made it? Do we stop and marvel? And do we say, oh Lord, my God, thou art very great. And then as David is drawing this whole song to a close, he, he comes to his response. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. Amen? It will. Never end. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. When I read that, I, I see the day when we stand before him and he displays all of his children bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed through the blood at Calvary. And he says, look what I did. He'll rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills and they smoke. Remembrance of Sinai and the coming of the law. And when God actually touches this ground, it shakes. And he says, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Verses 33 and 34 are verses that we need to hang on to. I live in a world that if I did not have the scripture, I would say it is totally out of control. Right? I don't see a whole lot out there that gives me any hope. I mean, those, those talk radio guys, 
All they can tell you is what the other party is doing that's wrong. They don't give you any solutions other than to vote for the other party and the other party is just as corrupt as the other party. You throw them in a hat and pull out one, you don't, it doesn't matter, right? They're humans. And without Jesus Christ, all they have is their sin nature. And to lie is normal. I don't like that world. But my Bible tells me that the Lord suppresses the anger of men. And that which will not bring to him glory, he stops it. My Bible tells me that God is good. That he is redeeming a vast multitude of people that no man can number. And they will stand before his throne and give him praise and glory. My Bible tells me that God is still running things and I will sing and praise him. And then there is a strange statement in this psalm. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. I hate to admit it, but I prayed that for cities of government. And those who would criticize Christianity and who would criticize God and criticize this precious book say, well, that's vindicative. That's, you know, that's negative. That's, that's, why would he say that? What happens to the wicked when they get saved? Are they wicked anymore? What are they then? We're saints, right? If the, if the wicked get saved, they're no longer wicked, they become saints. So if the wicked get saved, are the wicked and the sinners then no more? Yeah. Is it possible that David in the Psalms, how many years ago, was praying God send a revival? Bring these people to Jesus Christ. It's one way I can read it. The other way I can read it is this. When Jesus Christ comes in his power and his glory and he, shep- and he separates the sheep from the goats and he says to the sheep, enter into my kingdom and he says to the goats, depart from me. Are the wicked there anymore? No. The goats are gone. And is it possible that David way back then was saying the same thing that the Apostle John says at the end of the book of the Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's not vindicative. It's asking for the same things that the New Testament asks for. It's saying, Jesus, would you please come? Either come in your power and your glory or come with your Holy Spirit and bring conviction and conversion. Either way, come. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship and adore him, O Lord my God, thou art very great. 
Hallelujah. That's praise ye the Lord in the Hebrew. Hallelujah. And so I ask you, what do you see? If when you look at our government, when you look at our world and all you see is the mess, you're missing the picture. We need to see God. We need to see Jesus Christ and his power and his glory at the right hand of the Father until he comes back. We are about to celebrate a service that Jesus gave us. He took the, he took the Old Testament, oh, come on, brain. Passover, there. I knew I knew it. <laughs> he took the Passover that night out of the Old Testament and he brought it into the new. And he told them, do this in remembering me. This bread that we have been breaking for thousands of years, this is my broken body. This cup that we've been blessing for thousands of years, this is the New Testament in my blood. And when we look at this table, and in a few minutes you hold a piece of bread in your hand, you hold a cup in your hand, what do you see? What do you see? I pray you are able to see Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be able to see him in a body that was broken for you and blood that was shed for you. And him hanging on a cross and saying, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If all we see is bread and juice, we've missed it. This is to help us to see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for David. I thank you for a man after your own heart, a man who was not perfect, but a man who wrote some wonderful, wonderful words. Father, would you help us? Forgive us, please. When we have looked around us and and all we see is the noise, all we see is the busyness, all we see is the the pain and and the the travail, or or, or we see even the creation in, in in its wonders and its beauties, but we've missed you. Forgive us when we've come to this table and we've missed Jesus. Help us. Give us eyes, Lord, that can see. Jesus came so that the blind could see. Give us eyes, please, that can see you in your glory, your majesty, and be drawn to you. For I ask it through Jesus Christ alone. Amen.